Good morning, Faith Family. So um, many of uh, you might know, I, I uh, back started off uh, my career as a, a, in the Air Force, and I was, I was an Air Force fighter pilot. And so we've got a bunch of jokes that go around with being uh, a fighter pilot, one of which is, is uh, how do you know when a fighter pilot comes into a room? He tells you. <laughs> and, and then the, the other is, how do you know that, the, that your date with a fighter pilot is almost over? It's when he says, well, enough about me. Let's talk about my jet. And, and, uh, and, and certainly uh, there is uh, sort of a Hollywood uh, uh, mystique about it or um, a, a way that, peop that people act or expected to act as fighter pilots. And one of the things, of course, that we have to have is you have to have your clothing that identifies you as a fighter pilot. So this is from the 77th Fighter Squadron. It's, they've got, you know, the two sevens and three aces, it says, uh, or four sevens and an, an ace. All aces, no jokers um, th that guys are wearing. And they, and they tell stories, some of which are true, most of which are about 10% truth. Uh, but, but there's this, this sort of whole thing. Oh, I'm sorry. And yeah, kids are dismissed about all <laughs> explorers. But um, yeah, and, uh, but you can, you can go out and buy one of these shirts, right? You, you can... Wearing the shirt is not what makes you a, a fighter pilot. Telling the stories is not uh, that. That's sort of outward um, appearances. And sometimes we, tr we, we treat our Christianity a, a lot the same way, right? We've got our Christian t-shirts. The, the youth group has got shirts they use on service projects sometimes. That, these black shirts that say disciple across the front. Um, and, uh, uh, or, or maybe you've got shirts that, that you've got that have got some neat you know, Christian saying on there, or maybe a, a cross you wear around your neck, or, or that's not, though, what makes you a Christian, right? It, it, it's, there's, there's got to be something else, and as we uh, go into, uh, we're, we're going through the uh, First Thessalonians, and as we get into the second half of the, of the first chapter of uh, First Thessalonians, and, th and that's on uh, page 986 of, uh, of your pew Bibles, if you're using those, uh, we're going to see that the Thessalonians, that there's something more that identifies them as, uh, as disciples of Christ, as, as Christians. So, um, as, as we, before we uh, get into that, one other thing uh, that, that we do as, as Christians is we have meetings, right? And, um, and, and we're preparing, again, for our, our, uh, our annual meeting uh, currently. And um, as we've done that, we've asked all of our ministry leaders to really get together this year with, with their committees and sort of come up with what their priorities are, what they'd like to see us spend money on, what they'd like us to spend our time on, our efforts, and everything, and to prioritize those. And everybody comes to these with different uh, priorities. So some of us have got um, priorities that uh, are, are really about inside the congregation itself. So what really turns us on, what excites us, is ministering within the congregation. So maybe visiting people who are sick or helping out uh, with the nursery or with Bible explorers or the youth group or, or, or with one of the committees, you know, just really getting involved in the congregation uh, it, itself. And that is a vital part of the church. Paul writes to the Ephesians that, the, that leaders in the church are commissioned to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. 
But, but some of us want to spend more time in our local community and ministering to the needs of that. We've got some people that work through Rise Again or with some of those other ministries that, that really deal with the community needs. We, we partner with the school and, and, uh, and take care of, of, of what's, what's happening around us in Loudoun and in the greater Concord area. And this is also an important role of the, uh, of the church. First John, uh, in 1 John we read, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So that's important. And then some of us have got, or we want to look even further out. And so w maybe we're really interested in uh, some of the regional or uh, ministries, maybe the, the Burleys in New York City and, and now down to Florida and soon back here in New Hampshire or, or, or uh, per Pastor Barry in, 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 uh, up in Maine and, and his ministry to the, to the homeless uh, in, in Maine, or, uh, or like we just prayed for, for Dave and Irene in, in Indiana and, and their service to missionaries. And some even want to look even further, right? Our missionaries in Europe and in Africa and in Asia to the ends of the earth. And again, this is a vital part of the, of the church's ministry. Uh, we read in Third John last spring in, in, in that um, uh, sermon series, but therefore we ought to support people like these so that we might be fellow workers for the truth. So which of these should we emphasize? Right? Should we emphasize inside the congregation, in our local community, or you know, in a region, in our nation, or, or in, into the world? And I hope as we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today, we can see that it's not an either or. It's not a zero sum. This is a, this is a both and proposition. So we're going to start with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, just verses 7 and 8. And, and to refresh our memories, Paul's just sung about the joy, essentially, of, of what this church of Thessalonia or, uh, Thessalonica is uh, for him and how he's been praying for them. And then he says this in, in verse, verses 7 and 8. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only is the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. They've become examples to the church, to the believers around them. So Macedonia is, is all of northern Greece today into Albania the, and, and into the country now we call Macedonia and, and western uh, Turkey these days. Achaia is, is, the, is the region of Greece that basically covers the rest of the mainland down to the Peloponnesian uh, Peninsula. So they've, this little tiny town that, that Paul's only spent three Sabbaths at has become a, a powerhouse uh, for, for the gospel. Um, the Thessalonians, it says, has been, become an example to all of them. And, and in doing so, they're following in the footsteps of Jesus' disciples, right? His first disciples, who being obedient to his command to go and make disciples of all nations, right? to be Christ's witnesses to the whole world. But how do they do this? I'm going to suggest that the way they did it is just like the model that we see in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 starts off with the, the disciples together, huddled sort of in a room, waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit shows up. And when that happens, they do this. They proclaim the gospel, they make disciple-making disciples, and, and they equip the saints right where they are. Acts 2, that's exactly what happens. They step out of that hiding place, they start proclaiming the gospel. And, and when people are convicted by the gospel and come to see them, they, they make disciples, right? They baptize them. They teach them 
to be obedient to what Jesus has commanded. They live life with them, we read in, in, in Acts chapter 2, right? They're, they're praying with them, they're worshiping God, they're, they're sharing things together, and soon the gospel can't be contained just in Jerusalem. And so the church began sending missionaries to do the same thing. They sent missionaries to Judea, Judea and to Samaria and beyond, and we saw this again in that sermon series last spring on 3 John. And among those missionaries that they send is Paul. And he's entrusted, it says in Galatians, to, with the gospel to the Gentiles. That's a big job, because the Gentiles literally means everybody that's not Jewish. So he's entrusted with the gospel to basically the, the rest of the world, right? And, and that's got to seem intimidating, right? How do you proclaim the gospel to the entire world? How do you make disciples of all nations? And again, his answer is to go back to this model from Pentecost. You go out, you proclaim the gospel, right? You make disciple-making disciples. You, you, you equip the saints right where you are, and then you support missionaries who will go and do the same thing. So two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, because of the snow, uh, we, we read in, in Acts chapter 17 how, how Paul proclaimed the gospel in Thessalonica. In the last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, the first part of this, of this chapter, we, we saw in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 how the gospel, right, true words infused with true power by true witness resulted in true conversion, and that was evidenced by true obedience. And the disciples made disciples. Paul imitates Christ, we read in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and then he teaches the Thessalonians to imitate Christ by imitating him. And so now we see in verse 7, which we just read a little while ago, that the Thessalonians themselves became examples for others to imitate. They are disciple-making disciples. Right? This has such a profound effect that the word of the Lord has gone forth, not just to the northern regions, not just to the southern regions, but Paul says to the whole world, right? everywhere. Right? Their faith in God has gone everywhere. And so this is the answer to how ordinary people in an ordinary church make extraordinary disciple-making disciples who will change the world. And some of us are learning exactly how to do this. Ray and, and Laurel are, are teaching us a class. Uh, it's called Disciple Making for Ordinary People. And so some of us are taking that class. And if, you've, if you were in that class today, you're going to hear it again. We're going to say a whole lot of the things that we, we said in that class uh, today here, a double dose, because it is all about what this sermon series is, which is ordinary people, an ordinary church, uh, making extraordinary disciples. Ray and Laurel say this in, in, their, in, in the, uh, the text for, for today's class. The keys to a disciple's growth are love, prayer, modeling, and teaching. These are the means by which a disciple or disciples grow. For a disciple to access those keys, it is absolutely essential that every disciple have at least one faithful person who will consistently love them, pray for them, model the Christian life for them, and teach them the truths of the Bible in a practical and relevant way. That is what we're talking about when we say disciple-making. Right? Love, pray, model, and teach. 
For ordinary people to make extraordinary disciples, you have to have extraordinary love. Right? Not Valentine's Day love, but true selfless love. If we are going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who loved unconditionally, we need to love unconditionally. Right? If we're going to imitate Christ, we need to imitate his love. And this love was so deep that we read in Romans that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much this, or how deep this love is. You know, and, and we might not be called to be literally crucified, but we are called to die to ourselves. Because it, the only way you will be able to spend the time and the effort and, and the anguish sometimes, the, the, the investment that's required to make disciples is if you have Christ's love for that disciple. If you just go through the motions and comply with Christ's commands, you're going to try to just do this thing because that's what you need to do, and you don't have love, you are going to burn yourself out, and the person you're trying to disciple is going to see right through that. You need to have selfless love, the type that Christ shows his disciples and commanded them to have for each other. He doesn't say, love them as you're able, or love them as I've told you to. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Last, uh, the last sermon, we saw that Paul's overflowing love for the Thessalonians comes forth in him, just giving thanks, right? He's, he's I give thanks for you always, right? He, he takes joy in them. He reminds them that they're loved by God. First Thessalonians 1.4 says that, but you no know, brothers loved by God, right? And because of this Christ-like love, we know that they learn to have love for one another. Matter of fact, in the second letter to the Thessalonians, he starts off and he says, the love for every one of you, for, of every one of you for each other is increasing. So brothers and sisters, do you have someone in your life who loves you like that? Who, who loves you with Christ-like love so much that, that he or she would be willing to die to self daily for you? to pour their faith into you. Because if you do, right, is there someone that you can love that way? That you can love so deeply that you'd be willing to die to yourself, to pour your faith into that person? And what might that faith, or what might that love look like? Well, it's going to start with, with just a deep desire and practice of praying for that person. So for ordinary people to make extraordinary disciples, we need to love them and we need to pray for them right? fervently like Christ did. Uh, again, if you were in the class uh, today, you would have heard uh, Ray read through parts of, uh, of uh, John chapter 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's the, his prayer for his disciples on the night before he is crucified. And, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful prayer, right? He, he, he teaches in John chapter 17, about, or he, he prays uh, specifically for his disciples that they would be kept solidly in God's name. He says he prays for unity, for protection from, from evil for them, for sanctification and the truth of the word, he says, for their mission, for them to see his glory, and for his love to fill them. But here's something, and I, I love John chapter 17. I've I've read this chapter several times. It wasn't until I was preparing this sermon, though, that I sort of stumbled on this. If you, John chapter 17, verse 20. 
So this whole, this whole chapter, Jesus is just praying for his disciples before he dies. Jesus prayed for you too in this prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Prayed for you. Isn't that cool? Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for everyone who would become believers because of these disciples. He wasn't just praying for them 2,000 years ago. He was praying for you because he's, he's Jesus. He's God. He knew that you were going to believe. And he was praying for you on the night before he died. And if you are following Christ, if you are imitating him in faith and action, filled with love for his followers, you are his disciples just like those people were that were gathered around him 2,000 years ago. And we see again that, that Paul had this kind of love uh, that was demonstrated through prayer for those in, in uh, Thessalonica. He says he gave thanks for them, constantly mentioning them in his prayers. It's been said that the, the best way we can use someone's name is to, to use it in prayer before the king of the universe. Right? To, to, to mention someone by name to God there's just no better way you could use their name, right? So, so do you have someone in your life who does that? Who, who daily takes your name before the king of the universe and prays for you, constantly mentioning you in their prayers? And do you have someone who you do the same for, right? You would love enough to lift them up in prayer daily as Jesus Christ did for his disciples, because if we're going to be, again, ordinary people in an ordinary church making extraordinary disciple-making disciples, we are, need to set these things as a foundation for the next step, which is to model the Christian life before them. That is one of our key roles. That's what Jesus did. If we go to uh, a little bit further back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 20 to 24, it says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. See, discipleship is not about information, it's about formation. It's, it's not about learning what the disciple maker, what the teacher knows. It, it's about becoming who that teacher is. Right? And what, who was Christ? What is this example that's, uh, that, that we read in 1 Peter that, that he left for us to imitate? Obedience to God's commands. Right? The passage says he committed no sin. His freedom from his bondage to sin then is demonstrated in Christ's integrity, his steadfastness, his graciousness under trial, his suffering, his faith and character, in the, his faith in the character and person of God, and his sacrificial love. And then Jesus, through this, lays out path, a pathway of footsteps that we might follow in them. 
And then he says to, the, to us, follow me. And so when, when Paul began following Jesus, right, he too set an example for others to imitate. Again, we read in the Acts of the Apostles, right, in Paul's letters to, to people like Timothy, that, that, that he modeled obedience to Christ and his commands. Again, living in freedom from sin. And because uh, while, while Jesus was free from the bondage of sin because he was sinless, Paul is free from the bondage of sin because he has repented from that sin and he has turned to God and he's received forgiveness for it. It's because of the mercy, right, that, that he's been forgiven, not because of his sinlessness. He, Paul writes to Timothy, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, I received mercy. Those of you who are going uh, with me through the topical memory system this year, you might have, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we went through a, uh, a model of the, the Navigator Wheel illustration. And it's this idea of the obedient Christian life, what it might look like, and how you might model it. And it starts off with a, with a hub, you know, that the, that the wheel turns around, and that's focused on Christ, Christ the center. And that's held together with obedience. And then those are connected by four spokes. These vertical spokes of prayer and scripture sort of connect us to, to this Christ-centeredness. And, and then horizontal spokes of fellowship and witness. Fellowship, you know, being with other Christians, living with them, witness, proclaiming the gospel, spreading the gospel to the unbelieving world. And, and so that th this, uh, uh, um, this model that we use, this illustration, helps us to see what Paul did himself, right? He, he models this to his disciples. He, he lives a life that's centered on Christ, that's bounded by obedience. We see him praying, right? And, and, and the first part of this chapter, he's, his letters, all of his letters are just full of prayers, particularly for gospel growth in his disciples. His love for scripture is evident. I mean, he, he grew up as a Pharisee. He knows the scriptures already, but we know that he's not just heard and read and studied the scriptures, but he meditates on them. He, he's memorized them. He's put them into his life, and he urges uh, his, his followers to do the same. Like in the Philippians, he says, he says, hold fast to the word of life. We know that he, he relished Christian fellowship. You know, he, he appears with others. At the beginning of, of uh, our, our, the letter we're studying, the First Thessalonians, we, we know that he, it's, it's Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, you know, that working together. But then he longs to be with the Thessalonians. And when he writes to the Christians in Rome, he says, I yearn to be with you to, that we might strengthen each other for mutual encouragement through each other's faith. And then through all of this, his life is a witness. I mean, that's why he dies. That's why, why he's killed is because of his witness for the gospel. And in setting this model of life, he was able to call on his disciples. He says, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, says, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Timothy writes, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to ex exhortation and teaching. And it appears that Timothy, who's on this missionary journey uh, to, to Thessalonica, not only heeds this, but then through them working together, the Thessalonians actually turn toward Christ. And, and going back to, uh, to 1 Thessalonians, to our, to our initial pa passage uh, again here, we see that that turning towards Christ, that obedience, is what leads others to, to follow the gospel. It says in, in verse uh, 9 and 10, 
for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. People see that the Thessalonians not only received the truth, but they responded to it. They, they put it into action. They turned away from what they were doing and they turned toward the living and true God. They're focusing on Jesus Christ. They're putting their hope in him for faith and deliverance. And this is how they become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia and to the whole world. So think back. You know, maybe it's a while ago. Maybe it's a little bit more recent. Maybe you've got somebody here today. I hope that's the case. Is there someone who you just look to and you say, wow, that person just oozes Jesus. Right? That, that person really looks like Christ. How can you become more Christ-like by imitating him or her? And as you learn to model that obedient Christian life, with whom can you live that life? Right? Who can be, you be a model for as you center your life on Christ, as you bound in obedience through, through faith, uh, uh, through fellowship and witness and scripture and prayer? See, so often we try to teach people what we know before we show them what to be. We, if we're going to see, as we're going to see in the coming weeks as we go through 1 Thessalonians, Paul spends the first three chapters just being with them, right? Praying, loving on them, showing them how, how to be obedient before he gets to the, the last bit of the letter and really gets into doctrine. It's not that teaching isn't important. It is absolutely critical. But if we love one another, with Christ-like love, and we pray for each other, right, and we model obedience, then we have the opportunity to teach. And then ordinary people can make extraordinary disciple-making disciples. And it does involve teaching. Right? If we are going to be like Christ, we have to teach. Christ was a teacher. Right? He was called a teacher. He, he taught. That's what he did in, in at the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it says that he, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. And he doesn't, in, throughout the gospel, we see he doesn't just teach on the mountain, but he teaches in the plain, he teaches by the sea, he teaches in a boat on the sea, he teaches in the synagogues, he teaches in the temple, teaches along the road, right? He was a teacher. And Paul imitated Christ by teaching. He writes to the Corinthians again, uh, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. The entire book of Titus by Paul is about teaching sound doctrine. Right? Teaching is critical to a disciple's growth. It's how the word sounds forth when it, with integrity like any art or pursuit. Right? You take a master craftsman, a master craftsman takes on an apprentice and, and, and teaches that trade to the apprentice. And then the apprentice starts to do that, maybe becomes a journeyman and gets to do that on his or her own, right? With un, still under that supervision, that, that, that guidance of, of that master craftsman. And, and then eventually that journeyman becomes a master craftsman uh, her, herself or himself and takes on another apprentice. And, and the cycle continues. And we see that happening also in, in Paul's discipleship of Timothy. He goes to Lystra. He meets Timothy. He's a young disciple of Christ at the time. He takes him on as his apprentice. He brings him along in the missionary journeys, including the one to Thessalonica. Right? Timothy grows in his faith. 
as this. He sort of becomes a journeyman in, in, in this process. And, and then eventually, he is going to be sent out uh, to, to other places as, as the master craftsman, even as Paul continues to disciple him. We see in, in Corinth, it, this is an example, and, 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 and uh, Paul's continued care for Timothy, the model uh, that, he, uh, that he sets when he writes to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 2. He says, you then, my child, are, uh, be strengthened in, uh, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust reliable men who will be able to teach others also. Right? Paul receives the word of God from Christ himself. He says, from a revelation of Christ Jesus. And then he, he applies that, he models that, he passes that on to Timothy. And then he tells Timothy, pass that on to other people who can pass that on to other people. And that's exactly what's happened with the Thessalonians. Now they are able to pass it on to, to other people, to Macedonia, to Achaia, and to everywhere. So again, do you have someone in your life who is doing this, right, who loves you, who prays for you, who models the Christian life for you, and who teaches you so that you can grow in Christ? And if you do, and if you're growing in Christ, can you be praying that God would show you who that person is that you're going to do that for, right? That you're going to love, who you're, you're going to pray for, who you're going to model, you're going to live life with, and, and who you're going to teach. Who is this reliable person who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, at work through your obedience to Christ's command to make disciples, will grow in Christ and become a disciple-making disciple herself? himself, able to teach others also. This is how ordinary people in an ordinary church make extraordinary disciples. Right? It's a strategic vision that God's given us. It's, it's local action, and it will have global effect. If we act locally, if we love, if we pray, model, and teach, it will have global impact. As important as it is for us to know in our mind the basics of the gospel, and it's really important right, that, that we are all sinners, that, that our sin demands death, right? That's what we've earned, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That Ephesians 2 says there's nothing we can do about it ourselves, that it's not works that can save us, that it's only Christ Jesus that can save us. To, to know that, that, Christ, that God demonstrates his own love for us and, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And, and then in John, we, whoever receives him, believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. That is critically important. It is, I mean, it, literally, it's the difference between living in eternity with God or living in eternal damnation without him. It's critically important. But then is that it? What happens between then I receive the gospel and and, and then when I, when I go to, to live with him forever, it, there's got to be something more, right? It, is it just like, you know, again, is it just wearing the shirt, right? And say, this is who I am. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to confess something right here. I was never in the 77th Fighter Squadron. He flew F-16s, I flew F-15s. It's a, a very good friend of mine, uh, there, this shirt is, is incredibly important to me, but I was never in the 77th. But I could wear this all day, and people could say, oh, you were, a, you, you were in the gamblers. No, I wasn't. I, not at all. Wearing that T-shirt isn't what makes a pilot a pilot. If you're going to go be a fighter pilot, you've got to not wear the T-shirt the or, or the shirt or thing. You've got to grab your helmet. 
right? And you got to walk out to the jet, and you, and you got to fly the jet. That's what makes a person who they are, is, is going out and actually doing it. Right? I, I used to be a really avid cyclist. I've got lots of stories about, about, about riding bicycles. I, I, I did a lot, a lot of rides, some really neat ones. Got to ride 100 miles with Martha on the tandem once. Uh, I got to ride from, from San Francisco to Searchlight, Nevada. R- rode a couple years with the Air Force cycling team. Really cool stuff. I got a drawer full of t-shirts that, that will tell you how good a cyclist I am. That bike is collecting dust today. The only way I become a cyclist again is if I put on that helmet and I go out. And, and Jesus doesn't, or we're, we're not told in Ephesians, so Paul doesn't say in Ephesians, put on the t-shirt of salvation, right? He says, put on the helmet of salvation, right? Go out into that. I mean, is, is being a Christian just like having that t-shirt, you know, that, uh, that, that tells you the day that you got saved or baptized? Is it just telling stories? Is it just watching Christian movies or listening to Christian music while we wait for our ticket to glory? Is it just like going to that deli counter, right? And you pull a, a, a ticket out there and you're like, oh, cool, 452, and then just waiting for that number to be called. Or being at an airport, right, and you're waiting for that flight to leave, and you're just sitting there, you know, reading, maybe reading your Bible even, and, and not and not doing anything else about it. Please tell me that there's more to salvation, to the life with Christ, than just waiting around. And there is. There's so much more. Gloriously more. There is more challenge. There's more excitement. There's more heartache. There's more failure and stumbling and, and hurt. But there's more victory, and there's more blessing, and there's more fulfillment, and there is more of God to experience. And the way we do that is by proclaiming the gospel, by making disciple, making disciples, by equipping the saints right now, right here, and then sending others to do the same elsewhere. It's not a t-shirt. It's a helmet of salvation. It's meant to be worn out in battle as part of the full armor of God alongside each other, loving them, praying for them, modeling the Christian life for each other, strengthening each other, relying on each other, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, supporting, moving forward together, following Christ together. Because, and Jesus says this, says, if you're doing that, even the gates of hell cannot withstand you. The gates of hell cannot withstand an ordinary church made out of ordinary Christians making extraordinary disciples following the risen Christ. So as we join the spiritual battle right here, making disciple-making disciples right here in Loudoun, local, local action will have global effect. And soon, just like a, 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 we've been watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy again in our house, right? So like this battle cry just sort of rolls through the valley, right? So that, that battle cry is going to go there. The word of the Lord will sound forth from Loudoun into Concord, throughout New Hampshire and New England and New York City and to Indiana and to Florida and, and, and to the Philippines, to Italy, to Tanzania, to the rest of Asia and South Africa, to the ends of the earth. May it be so, Lord. God, our Father in heaven, may your name be holy and may it be proclaimed that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. I'm going to sing another hymn before we leave.
live together.